you open your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 18. To uh, Luke, chapter 18. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, we just sang that song that we've never sang in here yet. I've heard it by uh, Miss Gail, I forget her first name, Charity Gail. And um, it was funny, they were getting ready to practice that song again. I said, boy, I am who I am because the great I am tells me who I am. I think it's what the line said. I said, say that ten times real fast. And they said, we are. (laughs) And uh, I said, oh, okay, Uh, that makes sense. Um, So I had to, like, lip sing that one. but here's what I want to do. I want to go back actually a few weeks because I'll kind of be honest, last week was, was strange, wasn't it? We were at home, I was on the couch, and I was videoing by Facebook Live a sermon slash message slash stare at the kids and make sure they don't misbehave while I'm talking, you know, and everybody's making sure they're on the right page, I'm sure, and they were on the correct page in Bible verse. And uh, it was just strange not being here and, and having that regular... Um, attendance and occurrence here on a weekly basis. Kind of threw my week off last week, but then this week too, before long, I was like, oh man, it's Saturday. You know, we have church tomorrow and we're going to be in church tomorrow. And it's kind of strange how over the last few weeks, not really preparing to have any kind of kickoff to 24 message series has kind of just come about. So if we go back to the last Sunday in, in uh, 23, which was, I believe, on the 31st, um, we preached. He, I preached Hebrews chapter twelve, and I and I preached about us running the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Right, and and I wanted to to kind of kick off the new year because I needed the change. Right, there were some things going on in, in just just life and work and family that that I just needed change. I just needed something new, and those things are are happening and, and getting better. But I just needed a bit of refreshment, kicking off the new year. Things were kind of you know, not going as well as I hoped 23 would end and, and going into the new year, but, but I was hopeful for the new year, new me, new, you know, new work schedules or, or new family habits or whatever the case is, and I hope that you were praying for those things too. And here we are, and I want to go back to that verse in Hebrews 12, and then I want to go back to Luke 18, where I originally told you to go. And, and I want to kind of continue on this series of running the race that God's called us to run or also known as living the life that God's called us to live, and living it or running it with endurance, knowing that we're going to have to endure some things, right? There are moments in this life, no matter how godly you are, are unpredictable. There's decisions that you have to make, how holy you are, how close to God you are, that are difficult. There are moments in life where uncertainty is the only thing you're certain of, Right? I mean, there's just, there's just gray areas that we have to navigate in this life that, that the Bible may not directly say, hey, when you face this particular thing or that specific decision, this is what you do. So we have, to, we have to apply the scriptures, we walk in step with the Spirit, we follow Christ, but we want to constantly grow into being the person that God's called us to be. So, so we run with endurance and we also, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it starts by saying, looking to Jesus. Looking to the Joneses, no. Looking to influencers, no. Looking to politicians, no. Looking to world leaders, no, no, no. The scriptures say in order to run this race, we look to Jesus. Who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Which means that Jesus is the only reason that we are given the gift of faith. 
If there was no Jesus, there is no point to have faith in someone that didn't come to save us from our sins. Okay, are we fallen? Okay, so he is the author and the perfecter. He's the founder and the perfecter. So he is the one that initiated a faith that God has granted to us. So now because of Christ, we can walk this life with faith in someone much bigger than us. But not only did he found it, he what? Perfected it. He is the only means of salvation, as Don alluded to just a moment ago. So, so as we want to run this race, as we want to really live the life that God's called us to live, we have to look upon who? Jesus. Which means that all of us, this is given to all people. Okay, So it says to look to Jesus. So that means you, as you sit in your seat right there, as I stand right here, we are instructed to look at the same person, right? Now we can try to imitate people that we love or people that we follow, but we are all called to look to Jesus, which means you and I are actually on the same playing ground. We're on the same playing field. You and I are not actually in tears of people when it comes to faith in Christ. We are either believers or we are not. All right? So as as we establish that, it's going to help us understand the last part of the parable that Jesus gives us in Luke 18. That Jesus perfected our faith. My good behavior and all of my lifestyle changes and my speech change and my thought processes and patterns and, and website clicks, like because things have changed in your life or, or, or because your habits are different, because your addictions are broken, those are not how you perfect your faith. Christ perfected it simply by his death, burial, and resurrection alone. All right, so our faith in him is what grants us salvation in Christ. Okay. So as we say, we are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, go to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with what? Contempt. So I could stop right there and we could preach an entire sermon on that verse right there. About that some people trusted, this is 2,000 years ago, okay? Trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Well, what did they have to offer? Their actions, right? Their habits, their disciplines. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual disciplined, spiritually disciplined person. There's nothing wrong with being a religious person. But if your trust in your spiritual discipline and your religious actions are your means of righteousness, you're wrong. Only Christ can consider us righteous. So, so these people, not only did they trust in themselves, but they looked at other people with what? Contempt. Okay, if you are one like me that sometimes doesn't know what words mean until you read them and have to look them up, okay? Contempt means that you look at people as if they are beneath you. All right? So now... That means that you have exalted yourself above people. But what did Hebrews teach us? That we are to look upon Jesus, right? Who is the author and perfecter. What, what that means is you and I are on the same level when it comes to needing grace from God. Jesus didn't die a greater death for you than he died for me. He did not die a greater death for me than he did for someone else. He died the same death, paying the same punishment to pay in full the same wages of sin. Paul wrote that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, correct? 
and that the wages of sin for all was what? Death. He didn't say, hey, the wages of sin for people raised in Christian homes is you just have to give a certain percentage of your money. Mm -mm. No, even if you're raised in Christian home, the wages of your sin is what? Death. Even if you were raised in moral, upright, rich, wealthy, vote for the right party people, what were the wages of your sin? Death. So all of us are on the same playing field that you and I are all in desperate need of someone to pay the payment, pay the price for our sin. Who paid it? Christ. Paid it in full for all of us. All right, so you and I have no right to look at others with contempt as if they are beneath us. Because I was in just as much need of the blood of Christ as the one that's on death row. I was, on, I was as much need of the death of Christ and the blood of Christ as the people who are persecuting Christians right now. I was in as, as much need of the same blood to pay the same wages, the same payment for sin as you were. So you and I are on the same grounds, we're on the same field. Therefore, I can't trust myself for my righteousness. Doesn't matter if I'm a preacher and I've been doing it seven, almost eight years now. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you've been teaching Sunday school for 30 years. Doesn't matter if you've been leading music for three months or 45 years. Doesn't matter if you've been instructing your kids in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It doesn't matter. You cannot trust yourself for your righteousness. Only Christ offers that. Okay? Now let's move on to the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, who knew the law. He knew the actions that needed to be conducted. He knew the way that he should live to to be right and to live holy and to please God. He knew the way. And the other, a tax collector, to be considered a traitor, someone that sold his right to the Roman authorities to then go and take money from his own people to give to the opposing government. So someone who was hated by his own people that maybe three years prior was loved by his people, but then he sold his rights to the Roman government. He would then go around and take the taxes, take the money of his own people, maybe his own family at that, to then give to the opposers, the oppressors. So they went up to pray, and the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. So here we go, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He goes on to inform the Lord of what he does. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. So as we continue this series of running the race, living the life that God's called us to live, being the person that God's called you to be, Because that's my hope for you this year, is that you truly begin a process for the rest of your life through this process we know of sanctification, that you grow spiritually mature this year, and you begin to follow the way that God's called you to live. That you obey His Word, that you live generously, that you sacrifice of your own time, your own talents, to glorify His name. And 
what we see here is that this story can actually shed light into a very, very special gift that God gives to us that will enable us to truly cherish the life that God's given us, but also follow him in a more intimate way. And that gift is what we know as joy. Okay, And there's many other stories that we can share, but I want to use this story, I want to use Hebrews 12, and I want to talk about the fact that you and I need to truly pursue joy this year, if never before. And I'm not talking happiness because good things are happening. I'm talking joy whenever uncertainty is the only thing that is certain. Okay, Because here's the thing, God has given to you an opportunity, not just to receive eternal life in Christ, but also given you a gift, which is also a fruit of the Spirit, joy. Did you notice that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Which means joy is not actually experienced by people who live in sin and the world. They may experience happiness. They may have kids. They may build big homes. They may give away lots of money. They may have lots of successful careers, but they don't ever obtain joy. See, because people that live according to the ways of the world... People that experience happiness, people that pursue happiness, can be happy, but then they can also, whenever things go, so, so what, what, essentially, people that live according to the ways of the world, yet to, to surrender themselves to Christ, to truly experience joy, they do experience happiness. And they are happy when things are going well, right? But they are miserable, they are toxic, they are hateful, bitter, angered, frustrated, and broken when things are going wrong. So when things are going well, they're happy, they're on top of the world, they're your best neighbor, they're reaching out. But when things are going wrong, they're broken. So you and I have an opportunity to experience this gift from God, a fruit of the Holy Spirit known as joy. Which means when things are going wrong, we can still have the same passion the same fire within us, the same love to give to others, even when the world is crumbling apart. Even when we have no certainty of what tomorrow will actually hold, we can possess a gift from God called joy. So we can see it in this text, how we can be robbed of joy. And the two things I want to point out, I I might just go for a while. I don't know. What time is the Chiefs game? What time? It's the second game. game, So we got all afternoon, right? They're just going to lose anyways. Um, uh, Anyway like a prophet in here. I'm telling you, they're going to lose. <laughs> Josh Allen, let's go. Um, anyway, the two things that, that will rob you of joy and keep you broken and angered and bitter, both start with the letter C today. The first one is comparison. Comparison. We live in a society where we compare ourselves to everyone, do we not? Let's just be honest. Man, that was a nice truck going down the road. I wish I had that. Right? Um, Mikhail and I, we drove with the, with the five kids <coughs> yesterday. And she said, I wish I would have started noting from Potosi to Rolla and back how many times you say, I wish I would have, or I think we need, <laughs> fill in the blank. The brand new Cadillac Escalade passed us on the interstate. It was the most beautiful, beautiful car. I said, you know, I think we ought to really trade this in, you know, for that. <laughs> Um, we passed the big uh, Bobcat sales place there on right off 44. I said, I think we really need a, a Bobcat for the farm that we don't quite live on yet, but we, but we will. You know, like we need to just start paying these things off now. And 
I see all these things that, that we needed, or I thought we needed, because I didn't have it. Somebody else had it. So we find ourselves in comparison, especially if you have any form of social media, whether that be Facebook, Instagram, X, TikTok, YouTube, I, I mean, any form of social media. I don't even know what's all out there anymore. Snapchat. Uh, these, you, you are trying to compare yourself to the highlight reels and versions of people. And you see what they have and that you, what you don't have. And then that begins to eat at you because if you find yourself living in comparison like this tax collector, he compared himself. But did you notice who he compared himself to? See, if you live in comparison and exalt yourself, you will always compare yourself to people who are lower than you. You're always going to compare yourself to people that don't make as much money as you. You're always going to compare yourself to people that can't vacation like you. You're always going to compare yourself to people that can't drive what you drive. See, what happens is you compare yourself to these people that seem beneath you, treating them with contempt without even knowing them. And then in, 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 as a result of that, the effect of that is you begin to exalt yourself as if you are so much greater than you really are. And what will happen is, because you have to continue to exalt yourself higher and higher and push people lower and lower, it will rob you of joy because you have to constantly consume more and more. You constantly have to have bigger and better. You constantly have, you can never be content with what God has given to you. <clears throat> Do you remember the, the famous passage of scripture, Philippians 4.13? Remember that? I remember in high school, I wrote that on my basketball shoes, thinking I could dunk one day. Um, and uh, it didn't happen in high school. It didn't happen until I got in the military and learned how to work out that I could actually jump. And I thought, man, I could do all things. I'm going to dunk tonight. You know, I could never do it. I could shoot all right. But I put Philippians 4.13 on my basketball shoes, completely out of context, thinking that God could do all things, like make someone like me do things that I'm not made to do. Um, No, no, no. Paul is talking in the context of he's experienced prosperity and he's experienced poverty, but he can do it all. It doesn't matter what he has because he has Christ. And that's all he needs. But if we aren't careful, we will take our eyes off of Jesus and stop looking at Jesus to define our joy and our sustainability and be our satisfaction in life. And we'll begin looking with our eyes to other people and what they have, what we don't, what we wish we had, what we think would satisfy us, what we think would fill us and, and truly give us purpose in life, what we really need. And here's what I've come to realize that, you know, I'm only 32, I'll be 33 this year and and I'm starting to grow more and more mature, but I've realized something over the last six months, that less is sometimes more. Less is sometimes more, because what I began to realize is if I compare myself to some people in this church, I will never be able to have what some of you all have. Never. Never. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you have just been blessed beyond means that I would ever be blessed with, or God hasn't given to me. And that's perfectly fine, but if I compare myself to what some people have, or what I see driving through town later, or the homes and the paved driveways and the stamped concretes that I would love to have this or that, I will actually find myself chasing things that are lost in the wind. I will find myself chasing things as if Jesus said, don't lay up your heart, or don't lay up treasures here on the earth because they rot, and moths destroy them, and they rust. See, see, if I realize that if I compare myself to other people and what they have, and if I think I, if I can just obtain those things, then I will be happy, then I'll never be joyful. I might be happy when I hold them for a moment, but it's crazy how we will spend our lives chasing things that are just divided at auctions. 
We will spend our lives chasing and holding and trying to grasp things that people can't wait to get rid of after we leave. And I'm not ever telling you or discouraging you for having nice things or building the big home. Like, if God has blessed you to do it, do it. But don't get caught up in having to obtain more so that you can keep up with the Joneses down the road. Because it will rob you from the joy and the satisfaction that is found in Christ and the life that he has given you. See, if I wanted to chase more and more and more and, and hold more and more and more in these hands, I would have less room for my wife and my kids. If I wanted to obtain more and more and more, I would have less, less time for my ministry. So sometimes less is more. So if we aren't careful, we'll find ourselves comparing ourselves to people who are beneath us and to our standard. And then we will actually treat them with contempt while we exalt ourselves higher than them. Because I, as I don't fast twice a week, as you can tell. Uh, uh, the, the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. He says, I'm not like these guys, right? Did he ever compare himself to someone that was a little bit a higher standard than him? No, never do we do that. We'll never compare ourselves or boast in who we are comparing ourselves to someone that's greater than us, richer than us, fitter than us, healthier than us, prettier than us, right? I mean, we'll never do that. We'll always compare ourselves to people that seem to be lower than us, just like this man. And what happens is we will rob ourselves from the joy that God can offer to us right where we are. And then the second C that I want to talk about is criticism. Um, I don't know if anyone here has ever been critical. Husband, stop. Stop. <laughs> uh. I don't need to know. We do not have time for all the marriage counseling that we could, could have this afternoon. But we also live in a very critical day, do we not? It's nothing for you to post something on Facebook and you get great reviews and bad reviews all at the same time. People are, are warriors behind keyboards, right? I mean, they'll, they'll tell you exactly what, what they, but they'll never tell you when you see them, you know? They'll, they'll criticize you in a passive-aggressive way on, through uh, Instagram or Facebook, or they'll screenshot your post and they'll send it to other people and complain about you, but never have the audacity to actually confront you. See, there's a difference between criticizing and condemning people and confronting people. See, if I see you struggling in sin, it would be wrong of me to criticize you and condemn you without confronting you for your own good, to, to confront you in love, grace, and truth at the same time. But if, if we aren't careful, we'll find ourselves falling to criticism because no one likes to be criticized, but we love to, to give it, right? It's one of those things, we, it's like a hot potato. We can't hold it, we can't take it, but we, we will gladly disperse it. And if you and I aren't careful, not only will we compare ourselves to other people and boast in ourselves, but then we will begin to push other people down as we criticize them. And maybe you've heard people say, well, if they would just stop hanging out with these people, their marriage wouldn't be falling apart. But yet not have the audacity to confront the person and lovingly and gracefully tell them, hey, I'm concerned about the way that you're living or the people you're with because your marriage is falling apart. Or if they would just stop eating so much. Or if they would stop spending their free time with those people. Right? Or did you see what she had on? Or can you believe what he bought? Can you believe where they went? Can you believe how much that meal was? I mean, there's so many ways that we can criticize people, right? I mean, there's so many different ways that we can criticize. And what will happen is if we aren't careful and if we don't check that, 
we will begin to allow that to creep into every area of our life and we'll begin to criticize people for things that we don't even know that are true. And it will rob us from the joy that God can offer. And, and we will begin to live as this Pharisee by comparing ourselves to people, by trying to exalt ourselves, pushing them down, criticizing them for the way that they act or the things that they do, instead of lovingly and gracefully confronting them and saying, brother or sister, I'm concerned about your marriage or I'm concerned about your, your habits or your lifestyles. I'm concerned about the, the way you're spending free time because it's going to drown you in sin. So in order to truly run this race and live the life that God's called you to live, me to live, I, I'm chasing joy this year. I am. I, I don't want happiness because bills are paid and we're going on vacation or we're going to Branson or we're going to Florida. Like, that's going to be great and that's going to be enjoyable while I'm there. I need joy so that whenever my kids aren't obeying the way that they should be, I can still love them the way that God's called me to love them. When, well, I need joy that whenever, you know, doctor's bills start coming in, you can still wake up tomorrow with a song in your heart to praise the Lord. I, I mean, we need joy that's going to sustain us in the times that aren't always good. We need joy that's going to truly strengthen us to be able to face tomorrow when tomorrow is definitely got its own anxieties in itself. You know, last week we talked about being anxious and I mean, who here can agree that tomorrow's got its own problems, right? Tomorrow will bring its own problems. Let me truly enjoy today. And, and here's my hope for you is that you would find in this parable, because you see the way that you, you and I ought not just to pray, but the way that you and I ought not to live. And we see in this parable how we ought to live. So we, if we aren't careful, we'll be like the Pharisee. We'll compare ourselves to everybody. We'll look at their Facebook posts or Instagram posts. And, and we will begin to exalt ourselves saying, man, I'm not like them. I'm in church today. Where are they at? Right? I was at Life Group this week. Where are they at? I gave them the offering and they're, they're squandering it here and there. Right? I mean, I mean, we will begin to boast in and of who we are when, if we remember at the very beginning of this, we're all called to look to who? Jesus, which means we're all down here needing to look up. All of us. I don't care if you're a Pharisee or you're a tax collector. We are all commanded to look to Christ, which means we are all down needing to look up. But if we begin to trust ourselves for our righteousness, then we are completely unrighteous because we are entangled by comparison, criticism, condemning, judgment, bitterness, brokenness, and we will truly be robbed of joy and we will be the most bitter, angry, Miserable people ever. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy, right? I mean, I want to be joyful. I, I hope that you are joyful, not just this year, but for the rest of your lives. But maybe for, for the first time in your life, you've truly been able to sit here and think, okay, am I truly joyful or are my emotions dictated by the circumstance? Am I happy when things are good and when my kids are obeying, when my, my grandkids are in church? And am I angry? Am I frustrated? Am I miserable when the bills start to pile up? Am I angry? Am I miserable? Am I, are the circumstances dictating the way that I live? And that's my fear is that if you aren't careful, you will begin to drift into that particular lifestyle. That your circumstances will dictate your character and your circumstances will dictate how you live. 
But my prayer is that all of us would be like this tax collector who he cries out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner, which means that he, he, he recognizes the fact that he's way down here, right? I'm way down here. And me, I mean, personally, I'm way down here because in the sight of a holy, righteous God, I am filthy rags. That, I mean, that's what we are. Now, when we're saved by the blood of the Lamb and we are brought forth in new life, we then put on the coat of righteousness known as imputed righteousness of Christ to where we are covered by His righteousness so that we can stand before a holy, righteous God and be granted access to His holy kingdom. But in and of myself, if I were to trust myself, this parable, we could have just preached on verse 9. He told this parable to the people who trusted in themselves. Let me just tell you something. You are probably the last person you should trust when it comes to your righteousness. Yeah. If you, people knew some of the things that you and or I struggle with, if people knew exactly what we've done, if people knew exactly how we lived all the time, even in the secret times, we are probably the last person we should trust when it comes to our righteous, righteousness. So this parable was taught to people who trusted in their righteousness And then they treated others with contempt. Let me just tell you, when you get to heaven, there will be no one below you. No, we're all in the same field again. Um, Did you know that right now, if you were to trust yourself for your righteousness and your salvation, there is no one below you. You have no one to exalt yourself above. But by the grace of God and by the blood of the Lamb, I can be exalted one day. I will be exalted above the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I will be exalted above the one that tried to, to rob me of my eternal life found in Christ. I will be exalted above the one that seeks to devour people like you and me. But if I exalt myself, I will be humbled just like he is one day. So my prayer for you right now is that you would be able to identify in your life, are you constantly struggling with comparison? And is it eating you alive because you think you have to have or you, you, you would be happy if, or our marriage would be better when? No, no, no. In all areas of your life, look to Jesus. You want to be a better husband or wife? Look to Jesus. He's not just the author and perfecter of your faith, but God himself is the author and the originator of marriage. So if you want to know how to do it best, follow him. If you want to parent your kids better or your grandkids better, look to Jesus. He's the only one that would die to call people that were his enemies, now his children. Would you do that for a stranger? Would you do that for someone that opposes you or lives with enmity with you? No, no, no. But Jesus died so that those that had enmity with God could now be called his children. So if you want to be a better parent, grandparent, look to Jesus. You want to be a better coworker, look to Jesus. You want to be a better friend, look to Jesus. Not taking our eyes off of Jesus and looking at everyone else. So my hope for you is this. As we wrap this up and conclude today, is that you would be able to truly identify the fact that you struggle with comparison and criticism and condemning people, trying to exalt yourself because it makes you feel better. But I'm telling you, the mountain there only goes so high. 
And there's only one way down, and it's not slow. It's fast, and it's hard. So if you begin to exalt yourself above people, eventually you're going to be humbled, and it's a very fast fall. If you begin to compare yourself to people that are below you, treating them with contempt, criticism, very critical, it will make you miserable and bitter with all people. So my prayer is that you would truly find yourself living this life, running this race that God has set before you, constantly looking to Jesus, finding your satisfaction in Jesus, truly experiencing the joy of the Lord as your strength. Because let's face it, there are days where you and I do not possess the strength to carry on. There are days that we do not possess the strength to have the answers. We do not possess the mental capacity to tell people exactly what they need sometimes. But may the joy of the Lord be our strength. And that is only obtained by constantly looking upon Jesus, recognizing that you and I should truly humble ourselves. So what you can make of all of this is that maybe the greatest way for you to experience joy this year, if never before, is to humble yourself. Humility may be the greatest avenue to joy that you've never traveled. Pride and boasting will crumble you. Let's pray.